Welcome to another edition of We Need to Talk About Movies. Brought to you by Banterflix.com. And now, here's your host, Jim McLean. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, I am indeed your host, Jim McLean. Welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk About Movies, a podcast brought to you by the Pandaflix Movie Review website, cinematic discussion with a Northern Irish accent. On this episode, we're going to be talking about The House of Gucci. Yes, I know it's been released a little while ago in cinemas, and we actually recorded this episode a while ago, but just through various reasons... I've only got a chance to get round to editing it, so I do apologise for the delay. Although, I can promise regular listeners we will have a ton of content for you over the Christmas period. And uh, in January, we're hoping to get set back up to a regular schedule. How many times have I said that before, dear listeners? So, on this episode, I'm going to be joined by Banderflix's deputy editor, Joe McElroy. And uh, making a welcome podcast return. It's been too long since we've had him on. But I'm joined by James Stafford from Talking Cods Wallop. We're going to be talking about the film. And as always, we go off on our various little digressions. Would you expect anything else from a podcast hosted by my lovely self? Hopefully you enjoy the pod. If you do, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasting fix. If you would be so kind as to leave us a lovely review wherever you get your podcast to help attract new listeners to the show, that would be great. And uh, if this is your first time listening and you're wondering what you've tuned into, you're in for a little treat because this is just an hour or so of cinematic rambling by people who love movies and just love to talk about movies. And yes, I know that we are once again recording this podcast via Zoom. Unfortunately, it looks like the pandemic is not going away anytime soon. We have Omicron right upon us now. I know that things are looking pretty bad and looking pretty grim right now. So hopefully for the next hour, in our typical Bandaflix way, we can help cheer you up. We can help kind of do our best to... Take your mind off all the doom and gloom that's about and just enjoy us talking about Ridley Scott's film. So without any further ado, let's play a clip of the film. You have a gift, I'm telling you. Oh, stop. Stop, you're going to make me... You're going to make me cry. Nobody has ever said that to me. Nobody... Uh, Paolo, why don't you have your own line? These are just mock-ups. I can't afford to get serious. With your gift and your talent and your vision? Are you kidding? Gucci needs no blood. Goodbye, 1930s. Hello, 80s. Huh? You took the words right out of my guts. Paolo, Gucci is coming. So that's a clip of the House of Gucci. Joe, do you want to give our listeners a bit of setup to what it's all about? Uh, the House of Gucci is about a lot of Italians uh, who get together and things go awry. Uh, no, it's about the this uh, lady called I think it's Patricia. Is it Lady mm-hmm. Gaga's character? Yeah, she uh, you know she has a bit of a meet cute with uh, one of the 
Gucci uh, brand sons. And it's basically how their relationship develops and how she becomes more and more entwined within, you know, the, the house of Gucci, as it were. And basically, there's a lot of Machiavellian sort of, uh, you know, um, power grabs throughout the film to the point where it leads to uh, lots of sinister things and murder and such. Okay, perfectly set up. So we'll start with you. What did you think of the film? I had an absolute blast with it. I went to see it uh, like the second day or so when we came out and uh, went to see it in the Strand with my girlfriend and it's pretty much a full house for as much as you know cinemas can be uh, at the minute and everyone was just on board to have a good time with it and for me I was kind of a bit apprehensive going in because I heard uh, I heard a lot of you know negative reviews about the film but then also heard a lot of positive things so at the same time, I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to make of this because even Ridley Scott as a director, he can be very hit and miss as well. So I'm like, I don't know. I hope it's going to be like, I was like, I hope it's going to be great. And I think he delivers. Uh, it's a really tacky but extravagant film at the same time, but it's very much in keeping with the story they're trying to tell. Uh, the acting, well, everyone, it's what you knew that whole, you know, they understood the assignment. Everyone kind of did to an extent. It's like, let's all go out and just have the most over-the-top Italian accents. That's excluding one person. I know we've sort of talked about that before we started recording, and we'll get to that said person. But, like, yeah, you know, Al Pacino, I think that's as good as he's been in years with the likes of, between the likes of this and the Irishman. Uh, Lady Gaga, you know, she's just relishing that role throughout, and she's she's sort of keeps the whole thing steady throughout because... It's a sort of a, it's a film of two parts in a way. It's like a, you know, like I said, the sort of, uh, you know, the nature of the Gucci business throughout the years, whilst, you know, Patricia's involved in it. But at the same time, there's just the over the top nature of the characters as well. So it's sort of them two elements clashing at all times, but she manages to sort of keep those two things steady. Um, and then I thought the soundtrack was perfect in it. You know, the songs that are used throughout. Uh, a lot of people seem to complain that, you know, he shoots it very clean for such an extravagant tale. But I think it works in its favor because it allows the, you know, the characters and the actors to like really, you know, uh, lift it more than usual. And I suppose the thoughts on Jared Leto, I think we'll maybe leave that until people give their general opinions because I think that's a whole thing in and of itself. Yeah. I would love to be as positive about you. Okay. It was his film. I, I okay. really, and I don't know how to put it. I, I, I've talked about it on the TV show and my, my thoughts are this. I can't disagree with you in terms of the performances. I think the performances are big. They're over the top. They're knowingly over the big. They're, they're knowingly over the top. You know, I think Lady Gaga is excellent in the role. I mean, this is maybe her third, maybe second, third. Center uh, acting role. Um, I don't think she's done that much. I mean, I I know she was in A Star Is Born, and she I think she was briefly in was an American Horror Story. I think was she briefly in one one of the seasons. She sort of was the lead in it. I think. Yeah, from what Trez has told me. The other thing I can only think of her, and I think she's very briefly in Machete Kills, and because it's like the assassin, uh, and there's probably been other roles as well. I think she's good, but my problem is I think the film itself, I actually think is really flat. 
I think for all the big performances we actually get, I think the actual film itself, it never really gets away from being a cinematic Wikipedia entry. And we never really got to to know the characters. We never really got underneath their skin. They give all these big, over-the-top performances. Miss Gozzi, excuse me, Miss a pure Italian accent. That's as good as you're going to get. I could be in Ridley Scott's next film, Baba da Bope. But it, it, it just... After two hours, 40 minutes, I, I just was left going, really, what have I watched? And I was thinking about this, and I think a better, a film I'd like to see in a similar, like, uh, isn't it Craig Gillespie, I, Tonya? That similar mm-hmm. sense of, I think the fact that we have Patricia, and she has decided to, it's not a spoiler, because it's in a lot of the, the trailers and the marketing campaigns, that she does hire a hitman for her, her her husband and i just felt like i look like the way like i tonya dealt with that similar type of character and it, it didn't just try to go things narratively it went back and forth to different timelines and i think that would have been more interesting but i still think for ridley scott for what his in his 80s now early 80s I still think there's energy there as a filmmaker. I just wish that this was more of a win for me, for Ridley Scott. I am a massive fan of Ridley Scott. I have been a defender of Prometheus. I will also defend Alien Covenant. I wanted this to be a real win. I wanted this to be something akin to Marty Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street, to show the energy that he has as an elderly statesman of cinema, to have that exuberance, that energy, and that drive. There's hints of it. There's just one of the most over-the-top sex scenes I can think of in in a in recent memories, and there was a certain novelty to that, I think, and I was interested because I don't know if this was shot, and imagine this was shot pre-COVID. I'm not quite certain because I don't know how you would get round that now. I think the way well the way it's shot, I think you could have done that in COVID conditions because of of the way it's been filmed. But we have a wonderfully over-the-top sex scene that uh, would be. Not out of place in any erotic thriller, but I just found for all the big performances, for all the the pop soundtrack and all that stuff, I just find the film itself a little bit flat. But James, that's Joe and I clearly at different diff- different opinions in the film. Where are you going to weigh in? Ever wondered what it takes to make it in the movie business? Peel back the curtain with 4-6 Success Filmmaking. 4-6 Success Filmmaking is where filmmakers share their stories and the secrets. It's beyond competitive out there. There have been movies that it's taken me 10 years to get made. Don't wait to create. Like, you've got to just keep making stuff. Tune in to 4-6 Success Filmmaking for your dose of cinematic realness, direct from the voices that have lived it. Well, for me, it was quite an interesting one to to watch. Uh, I still recall seeing the trailers for it. They really grabbed my attention. Um, and I was going into it, I thought, with well, a cast at the level you're at, a director at the level you're at, for the sheer number of people who'd either won or been up for Academy Awards, it's going to be something special. And prior to that, a film that I, well, a TV series I'd really enjoyed watching was Holston, a miniseries about Holston. I am by by no means someone who really digs fashion, but these sort of things got my attention. Um, 
I watched it, and I'm going to be honest, you're not going to like me saying this, but I actually enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. It got my attention. Um, yeah, some of the cast, the accents were interesting, particularly when you're looking, well, before I go on to like the accents and things, what I found interesting was the way the film was presented. Certain characters I thought would be more to the front and be in it a lot more than they were. And some people definitely felt they were underused, but it, it kept my attention. It, it kept me interested. Um, I was very impressed by Lady Gaga because I had no idea what to expect. Because really, the only thing I'd sort of, I've not seen a star is born, but the only thing I remember seeing her in initially is I think she had a very small part in Sin, with the Sin City sequel. And I wasn't overly impressed when I saw her in that. So I'm thinking, what are you going to get in this film? But I was uh, really impressed by her, and it really impressed. Um, Adam Driver, a bit of a letdown for me. It, what this film did do is it spurred me into learning a bit more about the actual people it's based on. And it's one of the few films where you actually see the original, the, the real life people were actually a lot of the time better looking than the actors that are cast in it, which is normally the polar opposite of reality. But I, it, it did kind of feel a bit rushed in the fact that when it was summed up at the end, I was like, is this it? Is this how we're going to learn the what happened in like a small little sandwich thing? And I don't know. I'd be interested to see if either of you felt like, felt, the same way I felt about this film, which is I liked it, obviously more than you did, Jim, but I liked it. But it, the letdown for me is it kind of felt like it was almost a TV movie. It maybe should have felt like more of some cinematic experience, which I didn't feel. I watched it and I thought, this could have been a TV movie. It's it's interesting you say that because I I was I made the point on the, the television show going that the approach that Ridley Scott takes that's very chronological it's it's all in order it it lends itself more to long form story uh, storytelling that sense when we see stuff split up into a tv series uh, i heard mark kermode making the point about stuff like succession as a comparative piece or you know, like the crown and it's not that i don't think that this story can be told or can't be told in 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 a two and a half hour film, I know Ridley's already promised a director's cut, and I actually am as much as I'm down on the film. I'm I'm intrigued to see what that will look like, and to see if maybe my issues. I don't think it'll resolve my issues. If I'm blatantly honest, the fact that I don't think the screenplay is there. I don't think the screenplay is polished enough. I don't think we ever get under the skin of any of the characters. They are too. They're very two. They're very two D in my my own humble opinion. The fact that they are very stereotypical, all those big over the top performances. They're actually quite small and shallow characters. Like Al Pacino, just coming back to what you, the point you made, Joe. Like, I think it's night and day. His performances in The Irishman is still like Al Pacino going, "You are a fucking amazing." And then here it's kind of like the scent of a woman. Hoo-ha! Al Pacino. But there's one scene. I don't want to go into too much spoilers, but there's a certain sequence. There's a sequence nearly the kind of the films, two-thirds of the way film in. It involves a shoe and the revealing of a shoe and a gold leaf. And it's the start of the betrayal. 
And there we see Al Pacino going, right, yes, that's the Al Pacino I want to see that is still there, you know, up up for giving a performance when he needs to be. It's just that I find it, I come, I come back to that point, I just find it very flat. And coming back to the point you made, James, about the trailer, I think I said to you, Joe, when we had you on the TV show a couple of weeks before, I've been worried about the House of Gucci because I just thought the trailer was too perfect. The trailer is perfect. Now, usually when I make that point, I always go off on a mad rant about marketing men and women and how they will sell their soul to get you to buy a cinema ticket. I don't think the marketing for this did not missell that film in any way. It's just that that what, two and a half minute trailer is more fun than two hours, 40 minutes of that film in the cinema. But I don't know, Joe, you clearly disagree. No, um, <clears throat> no, you're right. I, I do disagree with you on that. The fact that, <clears throat> excuse me, do you think it was just, uh, you know, you got enough from the trailer compared to the whole film? I think true. Right? It's how they interact with each other and how, you know, how stupid some of the characters essentially are. And in, in the sense that, um, you know, that they think they're infallible because of their reputation and that they're, and that they can more or less get away with anything when in fact they can't. And, in the manner in which they're trying to get one up, one up each other, they end up, you know, screwing themselves over in the long run. Um, like I could, I could just think, for example, there's a scene where um, Jared Leto's character Paolo, he sees that uh, you know Adam Driver's character siding with his father, you know, the, 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 the um, Driver's uncle. He's like, oh, they're going to try and take Gucci in a different direction. You know what? I'm going to go behind their back. And go with the, you know my uncle, you know Adam Driver's father, and I'm going to bring these wonderful, unique ideas in front of him. And it's just Jeremy Irons' expression when he's looking at you know all his different designs. And his moments like that is like this is just bloody fantastic because you just know what's coming. Like I thought the whole time he was going to say something like, "Oh no, these these are wonderful," but you can never show anyone because they're so great. But no, I was like, "No, no, no." These are absolutely terrible. Was it browns and pastels? Mm-hmm. You can't mix them. <laughs> no, it was moments like that I just absolutely loved. And there's lots of them throughout the film, which really you know keeps it going and keeps the momentum of it going. I can't honestly think that, um, you know, I, I didn't feel, sorry, that it was two hours and 40 minutes. It felt more breezy than that there. I know some people I've been talking, I know, I know, I knew you're shaking your head there. I have talked to some people who've seen it and they've like, felt it's a bit baggy. I didn't feel that as much. You know, um, sometimes with films, I would just like check my watch and see, okay, how far are we into this story? You know, where are we going to go with it? It's really bad when you check your watch and it's like, oh, we're only five minutes in. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, obviously, yeah. If, if you're like that, then, yeah, you're in for a bad evening. Um, but no, I, I loved it. And some of the needle drops were just perfection for that's what really lifted as well. Like, uh, the I think the, the final song that was used over, you know, the final scene, I was like, that's... Like I think I like literally laughed. I laughed at that moment. I was like, "That's just too perfect." Like you know, for that moment. Yeah, I I think. I mean, the soundtrack is good. It's a jukebox soundtrack, mm. and you know, it, it is what it is, and you can't get away from that. I, I don't know. Like we've talked about it enough, Jared Leto. I mean. I know even Ridley Scott has kind of said he was given the brief that this is a performance, this is a comedic performance, but let me just see, for our listeners listening, let me just play a little clip of something that I felt sounded very much like 
what Jared Leto sounded like through much of this film. That was a whistling kettle. All right. I thought for a second it was Marv and Home Alone 2 getting electrocuted. <laughs> and then obviously it just became higher pitched. Yeah. Definitely a whistling kettle. There was elements of Jared Leto's dialogue in this film I think only dogs heard. I genuinely think only dogs heard. And I'm just not a Jared Leto fan. Well, you know, other yeah. other than maybe the Dallas Dallas Buyers Club, I'm not but a I huge think- fan. I think the problem with letter, the push on this is... Two wee seconds, I'm just going to fix my headphones. I appear to have broke them. That's what Jared Leto has done. Yeah, he's destroyed you. Um, I think the thing with Leto playing the part is it's not so much... What it was sold on, really, was not so much that he's going to be playing this like kind of like daft character and it's going to be an amazing acting piece. It's pushed more on the fact that he looked nothing like himself. That's what the big push was, that everyone was going to go, it's going to be amazing, Jared Leto will not be Jared Leto as you'd recognise him in this. He'll be he'll be kind of weird and abnormal and strange. And even, the, as I understand it, the family of the character, you know, the guy who's playing are not happy. And to be fair, I can see why, because he looks a complete mess. I mean, what the hell is he wearing? The crazy hair. And when you see the actual guy, he did not look a mess like that at all. He looked far better presented than that. So I can see why people are upset. I don't think he was sold so much on a great performance, just the fact that he was going to be so different to anything you expected. But the big thing I found watching this film is, and probably what sticks with the most sticks with me the most from it is it's not one of these films. There are no winners in this film. It's it whether you like it or not, it's quite a tragic thing to watch because everything is just such a mess for everybody in it. <laughs> They've got mm-hmm. it, that's the thing that I found that, that really hit me at the end of it. I was like, God, this is terrible. No one's come out of this in a good way at all. There's been no. there's no positivity. But for it to work as a tragedy, you need to have sympathy. Do you not feel you need to have some certain sense of sympathy? And I don't feel any real degree of sympathy. Like, I think the interesting thing is the fact the film very early on paints Lady Gaga's character as somewhat of a, a gold digger, but then you get a sense that for all her want to rise for ambition, I, I think she did, tr- uh, you know, you could look back at it and different, she did get a sense that she did love Adam Driver's character, or maybe she just liked the lifestyle, maybe she just liked the money, or maybe she was just you know, left, you know, disgusted by the fact that she was eventually traded in. And this is another element. I, I raised this in the TV show. Whether this is going to be something we're going to see in the director's cut, I don't know. But there's the introduction of another female character in the later stages of the film who is meant to be a significant character from Adam Driver's youth. I, Unless I miss something... Unless I wasn't paying close enough attention, you know, I, I think I was. I had my pen and paper and I was in the screen watching the film. She's not there early on in the film at all. And then it's just meant to be the sense. And that was a flaw for me in the sense that, okay, here's a character that's meant to be someone who potentially was 
maybe someone that Gucci was genuinely had an interest in before he met Patricia's character. And there's no denying she's stunning. She looks absolutely stunning. Lady Gaga looks absolutely stunning. And she's, you know, Patricia in real life is absolutely stunning, as, as James has alluded to as well. But I, I just think that's a flaw in the film where you introduce a character that's from someone's youth. And yeah, I, I do love that little skiing sequence. It's kind of a little bit Roger Moore Bond-esque. But I just wished that the sc- I come back to the screenplay. I mean, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you on the performances. The performances were fun. I don't like Jared Leto's because I think he just goes too over the top. It's like he's watched Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman and said, right, that that's what we do. That, my friend, is is acting. That, like, I do not think... As, I, I, here's the thing, right? I don't think a small child will appear from off-camera during any sequences with Jared Leto and kind of say, as soon as they've hit cut, go... That was the best acting I ever saw. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Would have ever happened during that. It's it's terrible. And but then I, maybe I'm biased. I'm not a Jared Leto fan. You know, I'm you see, not. That's I, thing, Jim. I don't like him either. I think he's. I don't really read him much as an actor. But I he is bad. No, objectively he is bad in this film. There's no two ways around that. But he was entertaining at the same time. And it was that entertainment factor that sort of carried him as a character through the film. Even though, like, it seems with Al Pacino, there was a sort of, you know, a clash in their styles. Of acting. Like, as you know, as, as, scenery, you know, as much um, as he, Al Pacino's tuned scenery in his bits, you know, Jared Lowe's tuned scenery, and he's also scaling the walls and dangling off a chandelier, you know. But at the same time, you know, there's... That like Pacino is on understands what he's doing and the whole time. Whereas Jared Leto was like, Oh, I'm gonna try and one up you, or not even one up you, I'm gonna try and ten up you, you know? Yeah. And uh that's how they clash, but it still entertained me at the same time, you know. Uh, you know, it's like Ridley's, you know, still in the gladiator phase, going, Are you not entertained constantly to the audience? But I was, so that's why I enjoyed it as much as I did. I do see the flaws in it, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is a perfect film, it's far from perfect, but I'll be damned if I don't didn't think it was one of the most entertaining films I've seen this year. Okay. To, me, though, to me, though, the biggest letdown in it was probably Jeremy Irons. Yeah, he was very underused, I thought. He, well, first, I mean, I know we've been sort of knocking, uh, you know, Leto's for his, his accent and sort of craziness, mm. but I've, I've noticed twice when I've been watching things that Irons have been in, his accent has never really worked when he was in, I think it's Margin Call. He's actually oh, yeah. all the, over the, the place in that thing, yeah. one. And his accent in this uh, was certainly very slippery. But it's not just that. I think he was underused. Mm. I was surprised how little he brought to it because he's, again, the, the big push on this film was to show, you know, like in posters and the trailers, we've got this Academy Award winning, this Academy Award, and this Academy Award nominee. And I don't know. It just felt like he he didn't feel like he was... Obviously, he's meant to be Italian, but he didn't kind of feel Italian. He felt like he was almost trying to play British with a slight Italian, slight Italian twin, you know, uh, you know, little touch in the accent. But it was, yeah, very strange. But I did like the scene where he was sort of, when he sent Aletto's character this, you've got a real sort of like thing <laughs> the artwork. That makes it crap. <laughs> Browns and pastels. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm interested when you, I mean, what really gets for Jim is when you were saying there's going to be a director's cut, because that to me could really add more to the film. Because, like mm-hmm. I said, 
it, you kind of wonder if almost at some point they've gone, right, we've got to do this story, we've got to keep it running, it's got to go in an order, linear. Oh, crap, we've got to end it somehow. And we've got an awful lot to tell right near the end. Let's sandwich it in something just, you know, see if we can get it to fit on it with just a few words and things to, to describe what happened. And I wonder if we will get a better, uh, more accessible story. It might be longer, but it, with a more accessible story, there is going to be director's cut. Possibly. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I will watch it. I mean, I'm a Ridley fan. <sighs> Maybe I just went in. Maybe the trailer just sold me something I thought was just going to be something Wolf of Wall Street esque. And I don't mean that in the sense of the debauchery on screen, but in terms of the energy. And I, I compare those two films because I, I, well, Marty's a couple of years older than Ridley Scott. Uh, not by much. I think they're similar ish. Age, and I think of the energy Marty Scorsese brought to films like Wolf of Wall Street, and I mean, whilst this is still energetic and it's still fresh, and I still love Ridley Scott because he will pump out what maybe two, sometimes even three, because I know he's working on TV as well, three movies a year, and I think to still have that drive and that self belief, that self belief, and I know that some people find him think or think that he comes across as quite arrogant he probably is i just think he's just something very confident in his own ability and i have the utmost respect for that i i have no issues with ridley scott at all as a filmmaker i am someone who again i repeat the line i've defended prometheus and i've defended alien covenant as flawed as those two films are because he delivered basically particularly with alien covenant what the studio wanted more so than what he wanted but I don't know. Maybe I wanted this to be more fun than what it is. And clearly you guys have both had a lot of fun watching. I I come back to the point I made at the start. I just find, not that the narrative was flat, I just thought that sense of let's go through things so chronologically, I think that form of storytelling lends itself more now where we are in 2021. I, and I'll open myself to being proven wrong, I think it lends itself more to long-form storytelling, where you can go through and you can spend time and you can flesh out characters that you're not just relying on people just coming into the room and just throwing a bit of an Italian accent on stuff. But I look at stuff like, for me, and I had the same, I'll I'll bring a a strange comparison piece. I had a similar problem with the Aretha Franklin biopic, Respect. I mean, again, I can't fault any of the performances in it at all, but I've just felt just going through things methodically. It's a Wikipedia entry, and you're just adding big performances to it. For me, the the greatest biopic in maybe the last 15, 20 years, in that sense, and probably there'll be something glaring I haven't thought of. I've already mentioned Itonia for that approach, where you're, you're going back and forth, and it's not everything is all perfectly and chronological. But I look at something like Steve Jobs, which I, I love. I, I know not everyone loves it, but where you pick three key moments of someone's life and then you again go back and forth and you relate to how those reflect those those characters. Very different type of film. But I just wish, I mean, I just love, for me, when when House of Gucci started to get interesting was when we see Patricia's character starting to approach Hitmen and we start to see her kind of delve into that world. And I would have loved more of that and more of that and using that as your framing element for the narrative 
And I know it's you're wishing the film you had seen rather than reviewing the film that you got given, but I I don't know. I just like there's a child in it, and the child goes from being born to like twelve. I have no idea, but kids' ages. But she literally jumps from being like a baby to like three or four, and it's I don't know. I wanted to, I I think it's more. It's not that I don't like this film. It frustrated me in the fact that I wanted to enjoy it more, but I just find it very flat, very rushed. And maybe a director's cut will resolve that. I, I don't know. But, you know, Joe, James, you know, feel free to, to pick on the bones of that um, for where you want to go in the later stages of this pod. To be honest, when I first saw anything about this at all, which was, I think, a release publicity show, Adam Driver and uh, Lady Gaga, I assumed it would be some sort of TV movie. And I wonder if it would have, and I can see the flaws that this that it had as a film when I go back to saying it was a TV movie. And I'll use the the initial thing that really got my attention was like for watching something like, you know, The House of Gucci when I saw the Holston miniseries. So the question is, would this film have worked better as a miniseries broken up to, you know, to keep your attention and maybe not following such a linear, you know, linear fashion of telling the Wikipedia style story? And could it have got your attention more if we'd seen the end? What you know? What the you know the uh, not to spoil it, but you two can see me. The end thing of what <laughs> happened as the starting point, and we see where it goes from there. You know, we go we go backwards to see how everything led to that. Would that well, have grabbed your I attention? I think we more? kind of do. Do we not though? Yeah, you do up to the point before the actual act itself happens. It's like everything in that morning leading up to that specific point. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, like both of you are kind of you know, indicating that a frame in the face may have made it better. I think you could even take whatever footage you have and re-edit it and sort of move those elements about and it could potentially make it a better film. Like, you know, I was reading, was it Steven Soderbergh likes to do that with films? He takes other people's films and he just re-edits them a certain way to just change things about slightly and I think he's done something like that before where he's I can't remember which film it was but he put it in a different order and gave it a disjointed narrative and people who've you know seen it like that's actually improved it I can't remember the specific film but if I do Home I'll Alone you know Jim it's Home Alone no it's, it's Home uh, Home Sweet Home Alone um, yeah yeah but that for Home Sweet Home Alone it would literally just be titles off done <laughs> Greatest that film ever. <laughs> that that would improve everything. I'm trying to think. I could be getting this wrong. Doesn't Tofa Grace do that as well? The yeah, he adds he adds different scores and stuff. I think I read like yeah. he tried to put a different score in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Did he not do like a two hour version of The Hobbit? Did he not, or was it someone did like a edit themselves? Oh, a fan edit where they took all three films and yeah. they basically made them into more what the book actually is instead of adding the appendices stuff. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'd like to see. Same here. Yeah, but anyway, look, I, I, I think we're just going to go round in circles in this. Um, I, as I say, it's not. I made this point in the TV show. I am not. I do not dislike this film. I think, as as Joe and James have said, I think if you go to the cinema to see this, I think you will. You, as, as to go full gladiator, I think you will be entertained. I think there are there there's there's positives in the performance. I. Don't think, and maybe this is kind of somewhere we can go off on a tangent. We can go down before we kind of get to wrapping things up. I don't know if this will be an Oscar-winning performance for Lady Gaga. I think it'll be a definitely 
a nomination performance, but I will clarify, coming back to as, as down as I am, I don't think from Lady Gaga it's a for your consideration performance. I think she's just genuinely she's re- she's read the brief, she's been told what she's told been told what to do. Apparently she didn't break character throughout the film making of this film. She has went for it big. She's been asked to give a ten. She's given eleven the whole way through the film. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've seen Spencer. I think that's an absolutely fantastic performance there by Kirsten Stewart. I, I don't know. Again, we haven't seen all the performances that will be nominated or we haven't seen every performance, you know, that will be up for consideration. I, I don't know how I would feel if it's an Oscar winning performance right now as we, as we sit recording in December. But I know there's many films still to be watched between now and March, but for you guys, your your thoughts? I, I think it's a good performance. I just don't know if it's an Oscar winning performance. No, it's it's gonna be like one of those ones if it wins, it's because of reputation more than actual performance. And it's you her know, time. It's ex- her time. Exactly. It'd be one of those because like many people thought, oh, she deserved it for a star is born. And she did win an Oscar, I think, for best song or something along those lines. Um but yeah, it'll be a case of well, we did we, she didn't get it for that, so we'll give it for uh, to her for this. But having said that, I have noticed, I think there was some award ceremony. I think it's between, like, the two main contenders was herself and Kirsten Stewart uh, for Spencer, and she pepped her to it. So I think that's what it could potentially be coming in the award season. It's going to be between them two, because I'm even looking ahead just, you know, in terms of, you know, films and that have been already shown at festivals and, you know, their reputations, so on and so forth. I don't think there's many other lead female performances that have generated a lot of chatter at the minute. Like, it could be proven wrong close to the time, but, you know, just as of wherever we are now and what is due to come, uh, I think it's going to be between Kirsten Stewart and Lady Gaga because it's the way awards go. They love um, sort of biopics and they love uh, stories that are based on, you know, sorry, films that are based on true stories. So, They've already met the criteria with those two films, so you never know. Mm, well, I know you've got, or that had been last year, Jennifer Hudson for, I know I mentioned it, Aretha, or Respect, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, that's another, I don't know what way, because of the fact that the Academy was late this year, I don't know if that would have technically been last year's circuits. I think that played last year at Toronto. I don't know. I don't know. James, you know, we, I'm sure just anybody kind of listening here is maybe we'd be already, we've forgotten something insanely obvious about some amazing performances that, uh, we've forgotten about. But what about you? You know, your thoughts? Do you think that's an Oscar? Do you think you, do you think watching that film, sitting through that film, you had watched an Oscar winning performance? If you had, before I'd seen it, if you'd run it off just the trailer and the talent in it, I would have said, yeah, this is going to be Oscar stuff, without doubt. I've got to be honest, it came out and I didn't think it would be. I think there'll be nominations, but whether people win, I don't know. I mean, I love Lady Gaga in it. I think I also fell in love with Lady Gaga in it, but, because uh, I think she was absolutely gorgeous. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think there'll be nominations, but I've, as much as I've liked it, I think I probably would expect more for them to be winning Oscars with it. And that was kind of the thing that, that's the thing where I am sad about it. It feels it should have been more, I don't know, more impactful than it was. This is again where I keep coming back to that TV movie thing. And it's the thing that as soon as I watch it, I kept thinking, this feels like I've watched something that could have been a TV movie. I've liked it, but it, it I don't know. 
correct. But yeah, I'm not feeling Oscar. Win. Mm. But again, I could be proven wrong. I, If you'd asked me years ago for two people I was coming to win Oscars, Mickey Rourke and Sylvester Stallone, neither of them got Oscars. So it's in the lap of the gods. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. We'll look really silly come December when Lady Gaga wins for Best Actress, Jared Leto for Best Supporting Actor. You know, I'd love to see Ridley with an Oscar win. I think he's got, I don't think he's nominated. I don't think he's ever won just yet. I feel free to interject if I'm incorrect. Maybe for the third film as part of the Prometheus trilogy, maybe that'll be the one where he brings home the bacon, where he brings it all home. Just like all those years ago when he set out to get some Hovis, then he'll get to bring home the Academy Award. Uh, yeah, it's a mixed bag. As I say, I think it's fine. I think it's perfectly serviceable, but I have a real sense of disappointment. I come back to the point I made in my rambly, typical way. I just think the trailer is almost too good. The trailer was too good, but yeah. hey, I my mum went to see it. My mum absolutely adored it. Joe, you went to see it. You absolutely loved it. James, you went to see it. You loved it with reservations, less reservations than I did, but uh, I just see a film that could have been more. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Le- for me. It's the less than the sum of all of its parts. But hey, I think if that's the worst thing you're going to have on a trip to the cinema, it could be worse. You could have went to see Home Sweet Home Alone at the cinema, but thankfully it's only on Disney+. Plus. You don't even have to leave your own sofa to be disappointed by your viewing choices that evening. But, uh, look, we we are nearly out of time. We, we've we had our thoughts on House of Gucci, just as we approach the any other business aspect of the pod. Anything you want to give a quick shout-out to, what you've been watching on the big screen or the small screen, or even in the good old days of physical media? Uh, well, just to bring up Ridley again, I got around to watching The Last Jewel today. It's on Disney Star. Thinking went in it yesterday. Um, and well, objectively, it's a better film than House of Gucci, I think. But obviously, House of Gucci is more fun, but I think it's more to do with you know the, the story he's trying to tell. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done, and, and I think it's it, it's amazing that he's managed to you know have these two films you know come out in such close proximity, and the fact that they were made probably. More or less, like he finished one and then straight into the other. Uh, for a man at his age to do that, it's just incredible. Um, and I mentioned another film in the WhatsApp group, uh, "The Night Comes for Us." It was an it's a film that was on Netflix. It's an Indonesian action film. I think it's done by the producers of the Raid and the Raid Two, and it's a real full on action film. Like it's very much in that style. You know, it's not like a lot of Hollywood action films where it's just constant cut, 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 cut. No, this is like. The camera's back. You can see everything that's happening in front of you. And it is very, very brutal and very, very violent. But it is just fantastic for it. Okay. Yeah, I was intrigued by when you were talking about it in WhatsApp because we were reviewing Gunpowder Milkshake on the TV show. And I was lukewarm about it. I thought it was fine. But I think that's because I like Karen Gillen. And I I like a lot of the people involved in front of the screen. You've got Angela Bassett. You've got Michelle Yeoh. You know, you've got Lena Headey. What's not to like? You've got Paul Giamatti in a very small role. Um, there's a lot of things I like, but I think it's fine. It, it's a Ron Sale movie. It's a Frankenstein's monster of a movie. It's stolen every idea you can think of, as I think I said in the TV show, whether it made the cut. What I find surprising now is the influence and the lasting influence that Leon has had on so many films within that kind of genre of the the older the older, weary, hitman, hit woman, 
and the young female, the young apprentice, because we've seen that, I forget the name of the film, with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, oh, Kate. Kate. I was going to say Karen, but then that would just be a completely different film. Karen, the movie! That's that's going to be made. But Kate, which I, I was down on, on the TV show, and I opened up, I held up my hands up, and maybe I'll have an incident like this, where maybe a couple of months down the line, I'll say maybe I was a bit harsh on Kate. Uh, maybe it was a bit harsh on the House of Gucci and should have liked it more. Uh, I I still think Kate is a bit flawed, but it's better than what I give it credit for on the TV show. I I thought Gunpowder Milkshake was fine. It it did what it needed to do. I was entertained by it. I wasn't bored. I didn't turn it over. And in the days of of so many kind of multitude of platforms, I watched it through to the end. Where if it was Home Sweet Home Alone, I would probably turn it off after twenty minutes. So hey. But maybe that's just because I love Karen Gill. Um, yeah, another thing I will give a quick shout out that I watched was Finch, starring the ever wonderful Tom Hanks in a post apocalyptic world. Who else do I want? I want Tom Hanks with his dog and his robot going on a road trip. It was a very dusty room I watched that movie in. That film just broke my silly little heart and put it back together again. And as I said, maybe pre. The recording of the show, it, it's already, it's in my top five, I think. Maybe it's potentially just because it's December and it's that time you start thinking about end of year stuff. But it is genuinely, it's been one of the pleasant surprises. And it's a shame I didn't get to see that on the big screen. And it's a shame we didn't get to see Tom Hanks' last film, Greyhound. I know, Joe, you and I have mixed feelings about it. Mm. I don't think it's great. I think it's fine. But I'm, I'm kind of gutted that we haven't got to see Tom Hanks in the big screen. But next year we will when we get to see him in the Elvis biopic, so I'm very excited about that. But, yeah, so Finch, if you have Apple TV+, Plus, I would definitely recommend seeking it out. Uh, James, kind of, we're going to come to you last. Any other business? What else have you been watching other than The House of Gucci? Yeah, uh, religiously, I finalised my week by watching The Shrink Next Door, which is uh, is definitely... Dead. It's, a, it's an interesting series because you've got two comedic actors. You are not going to get really comedic performance apart from touches of it in this, which is, um, it's, I can't really say much about it because it gives too much away. I'll just say it is the impact that a uh, shrink has on a man who has very low self-esteem, but it's based on a true story. It is very entertaining, but in some parts, my God, it's hard watching. Uh, emotionally, I what uh, I also, if I want to talk about emotions, I watch Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, I spent most of the time crying watching that film. I can admit, uh, it emotionally like wrecked me. <laughs> I really enjoyed it, but it wrecked me. Um, and what else have I watched that's really got my attention? Those are the sort of the, well. I'd also recommend if anyone's got Amazon, if they can watch Queen Pins. I am biased. I've interviewed the people who made that, but it is a really interesting little film. It's a bit of a foreign concept to people in the UK to discuss how can you use coupons and counterfeiting and make loads of money. But if you get a chance, yeah, watch it. It's, it's a good one. Okay. Intrigued by that. I do want to very quickly pick up on Ghostbusters Afterlife. I don't know. I don't know. Have you got round to seeing it, Joe? I know you weren't that fussed about seeing it in the cinema. No, I, I still am kind of on the fence just based on reviews and that. I'll probably, I will definitely see it you know, whenever it comes on the streaming, but as of now, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know. But feel free to spoil it if you want. Like, I, I'm, I'm all right with that. As long as you don't cross the streams, I, you're okay. Because I, I kind of know what happened. Somebody accidentally yeah. spoiled it for me, so I, I do know 
you know, the the gist of everything that happens towards the end. Yeah. Rick Moranis comes back. <laughs> yeah. 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 I wish. I wish. Sorry if that's a spoiler. Can I ask you and this is just coming back, James, to what we were talking about our Ghostbusters Afterlife pod. Did you cause I like Ghostbusters Afterlife. I like you, I liked it, but I felt it was like part of like it was somewhere part of it, it was in my DNA to like it yeah. and the film was just de- designed and I felt a little bit like it was like that sequence in Marley and Me almost emotional pornography where if you don't cry at a dog being put to sleep you're a bad person you're a bad bad person and part of me and it's I've talked about it in the TV show I've talked about it in the podcast where I feel that my my niggle with Ghostbusters Afterlife I I hope and pray that it it genuinely has its heart in its right place and I think it does deep down I think it Mm. is but I also feel that it was designed from the ground up for for me to have that emotional response that it played it so safely and and addressed the Harold Ramis issue that he can, he can no longer come back. I felt that part of me had that niggle where I felt I have been this film has been designed and constructed for me to in no possible way dislike this film. Uh, I think there's an element of that because I went into it, I'm a Ghostbusters fan. I know lots of people who are fans of Ghostbusters uh, who take it to a level of dedication that I could never, ever touch. And I've always said that she's in no way disrespectful. I thought I'd seen fans who were into things before I met Ghostbusters fans. I have never met people. We are talking people who will spend money that is unbelievable to get so screen accurate, you know, packs, costumes, it's untrue, who know every little thing about the film. Um, I think Reitman himself once said, you know, he, he went and spoke to people when he was making Afterlife. They will know more about elements of things, costume bits and gadgets than he and probably his dad would ever know uh, about the film. Um my fear going into it, and I kept saying this to people, is do not expect a lot from it. You are you are not going to get something that is based around the original people. They are not going to have a huge part in it. To spoil it, I was proven right. Um, I went in not expecting a lot, though. I expected to be let down. Um, is the film designed for the fans of the originals to emotionally, you know, play upon us i would say there is a degree of that because it probably what affected me the most is not so much that it was the emotional impact it's maybe not the film it's the memories of the original films Mm. and what the characters mean to you i think that's probably what it is and if i really think about it logically and this is not this in the films i loved it where i was a complete blubbering wreck through for about 95% of the film is because it was preying on my emotional ties to characters in the past. And the big one is thinking about my childhood. Mm-hmm. That's what I think does it for people. Uh, and most of the people I've seen who have had that sort of reaction to it are of a certain age. And it's like the sense of perfect homage to what was my youth. And I think that's pretty where it gets people. So you pray all right, Jim, in the fact that <laughs> put it together it's like we've got a 
meet the needs of all the people of a certain age mm-hmm. who would, would have loved it. What I will say is I don't know if I want any more films. Yeah. Everyone else that I've heard is like, well, we need another one. I'm like, you really want to, you know, F this up and possibly add something else to it? I wouldn't yeah. Do it. Yeah, it's an interesting point because we had Avine Henry on last week. He said that she kind of hoped that that was the bookend. I don't think Sony will have put that much money and pumped that much money into this. And it seems they've made enough of the box office and the post-credits thing does leave it open. And, you know, without going into spoilers, and I'll not spoiler Joe at all for that sense, but I think my niggle, and I know this is a difficult one to talk about, James, we should have had you on the Ghostbusters Afterlife spoiler pod, but my issue was that that sequence, that last, post-credit, because there's two, so the second, you'll know the one I'm talking about, should not have been a post-credit sting. That should have been the ending of the actual film itself, because I just think, in a weird way, this is definitely difficult, sorry, Joe, but certain actors that have been involved in the Ghostbusters franchise have been marginalised in marketing campaigns and kind of promos for the original two films, and it's a shame then to see that sequence pop up in the post credits when I think it would be nice to have seen that as the, almost the end of the film yeah. itself. I really wish I'd been on the Ghostbusters Afterlife spoiler now because although I probably would have been, yeah, no, I was just saying it could have been an emotional wreck on that actually. So no, but um, yeah, it was definitely designed to, I think, took at the heartstrings. But yeah, I, I really don't want any more, and that's not diminishing from it. I just fear that. It will become one of these things where it'll turn into something like Indiana Jones, where it's just got worse as as they've added to it. That's my real worry. What you're saying is you're worried that Sheila Booth is going to show up in the next Ghostbusters movie and swing across the swing across with a load of monkeys. No, no, I'm more terrified that it's going to turn into potentially what the next Indiana Jones film could be because the stuff I'm hearing on that, I'm like, oh, I've seen a lot of sad pictures and I'm going. Oh, what are you doing with this now? Hang on. But obviously, I don't want to spoil it because it is potentially a huge spoiler, the element that they're going to add to this new one um, in terms of the plot. And I'm like, oh, mm. uh, I don't know about yeah. that now. Because yeah, Indiana Jones, it had the perfect ending with Last Crusade. Literally riding off into the sunset, that's it. But now, money dictates everything. So that's well, why we had that- four and now five. You're right. It's a horrible moment. I still remember. There's no four. Chris- There's no four. Yeah. This will be the fourth Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, I still remember. And then when it comes out, it'll be it'll only be three. <laughs> See, I remember watching Crystal Skull and thinking, "Yeah, this ain't good." And that was like only about ten minutes into. I thought, "This ain't good. This, this is not going to work." It's like Batman and Robin. I remember watching Batman and Robin at the cinema, and I was like, "This is really." bad this is not uh, I still i can still see the scene where they're like doing the you know they're on like is it doors and they're like the, the like oh like the, it's it was like the ice hockey fight and then yeah, they yeah. go up in the rocket Sk- yeah this yeah that's yeah, the one yeah, and i just yeah. thought yeah this is really not gonna work this is poor this is oh. very poor mm-hmm. <laughs> well i i I don't know. Maybe in years to come, we'll we'll reevaluate and think, and you'll all realize what a wonderful, campy, camptastic delight that Batman and Robin was that Jules Schumacher delivered us. Of all the director's cuts that you know we never will get, you know, it's not talking about Batman and Robin. I would love to still see the much heralded director's cut of Batman Forever, but 
who knows? Um, I did have a few months ago go back and revisit Batman and Robin, going, it can't be as bad as I remember it, and it's like, oh yeah, it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's it's not a lot of fun, but um, I was a teenage boy and Uma Thurman was in it, so and Alicia Silverstone was in it, and you know George Clooney had bat nipples, so what's not to like? What's not to like? Chris O'Donnell. Just answered your question. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. So yeah, we had the bat nipple, so what's not to like? But anyway, I feel we shall not pull on that thread and, uh, you know, kind of the, the awakening of my kind of um, man crush and George Clooney all those years ago. So I think we shall bring this pod to a close. So we've rambled a lot this evening. We've talked a lot about House of Gucci. We've talked a lot about Jared Leto. We've talked a lot about a lot of things in true banter flick style. So all that's really left for me to do is thank my two guests on this week's show. So thank you very much, Joe McElroy. Thanks, Jim. Hopefully we will have you... Well, we're going to have to have you on the Christmas uh, TV listings guy pretty it's, soon. It's a, it was a three-way tie last year. We have to have to fight for DVD supremacy here. Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see, but uh, hopefully yourself and your fellow Sleuth sister, Therese Ray, will be back pretty soon Mm -hmm. on the podcast. And uh, James, it's great to have you back on the pod. It has been too long, my friend. And just for anybody who hasn't listened before, do you want to know, I leave it right to the end because I'm just a complete kind of charlatan of a host. So if people are still listening at this point, where can they find out and listen for Talking Cards Wallet. Firstly, thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure. Uh, if you go on to, we can find us through Facebook, we're on Talking Cards Wallet Podcast. We are also on Podbean for listening to us and all of the hosts. You can also get us through uh, the wonderful Alexa device. There are other devices available, obviously. If you ask to uh, for the Talking Cards Wallet Podcast, and if you want to specifically speak to or harass me, I am James the Voice Stafford on Twitter. There we go. So beautifully put. And uh, on that note, thank you very much, dear listeners, for tuning in right to the end. We'll be back next week with another pod. But for now, until then, arrivederci. Goodbye. Bye-bye. This has been We Need to Talk About Movies. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit banterflix.com. See you next time. <laughs>